You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. And today we are continuing in chapter 6, which is the beginning of, of really a thematic shift in Romans um, from what God accomplished for us in the gospel to now speaking into, leading us into what it is that God is going to accomplish in us through the gospel. And so uh, it's essentially, here's, here's everything that God has done, Romans 1 through chapter 5, all of the amazing things, really just kind of laying out the gospel for us. And now it's, now it's going to lead us into, hey, this is what this means for someone who would, choose to, who would choose to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And so um, it's going to get very sort of, sort of practical and maybe even demanding at some points. But we have to remind ourselves consistently that this is a, again, it's, a, it's one train of thought. It's one thought that Paul is laying out. And so we don't forget about Romans chapter 1 through 5, but we read Romans 6 with chapters 1 through 5 in mind. Okay? And so when when we get into some of these things this morning, um, we have to keep in in the back of our minds the the truth of the gospel from from Romans 1 through 5. So um, today's sermon is titled Slaves to Righteousness, in which Paul is going to answer really one simple question, and that is this. What is the inner motivation that leads to self-control now that we aren't under the law? Right? So that's, that's the rhetorical question that he's going to ask right there at the beginning when he says, what then are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? See, the temptation is when we hear that we've been liberated, that, that we've been given freedom in Christ, that we are no longer underneath the burden, the weight of the law that accused us in Romans chapter 3 to say, then what does it matter anymore? Can I just behave the way I want to behave? And if you were at Ash Wednesday, we read the first question, really, that he asked at the, at the top of uh, chapter 6 when he says, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer is no. And the same answer is going to be true of this question. Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And so the question then becomes, what is it that drives us? What is it that drives us as believers to follow in, really, the, the morality that is present in the Bible, in light of the fact that it, it doesn't sit upon us in the weight that it used to, in the sense that we are not burdened by the law, we're not held down by the law, because we are under the grace of God towards us in Christ Jesus. And so the first point that we're going to talk about is slaves to something. Now, Paul's opening assertion here is that you and I will be slaves to something. That as much as we'd like to think that freedom is attainable, we all serve something or someone And that that is actually in our very nature, that we were created in such a way that we were meant to serve, that we were, and if you go back and you read Genesis, we were meant to serve God. And ultimately, sin perverted that, and so now we look for any measure of other things to serve. But here's what we we have to understand, really before we get started, in light of sort of the verbiage um, that we're using uh, here in Romans. Now, when... When Paul is referencing slavery here, what we have to understand is that he is not referencing the horrific sort of kidnapping of of young African Americans to to be sold into a slavery that was lifelong and inescapable. Um, What he is talking about, though, is an indentured slavery, which most frequently occurred when someone had a debt that they couldn't pay. And so what they would do is they would legitimately offer themselves, offer their service to this person in order to pay their debt. 
Most of them were, it was not a lifelong thing. Most of them were sort of free or emancipated um, after, after 30, their 30th birthday. And so um, it's a totally different thing um, than really what our cultural understanding of slavery is. And so we have to know that before we, before we move into this. So is Paul condoning 19th century American slavery? No, absolutely not. Um, but he is using a cultural reference of the time to help us understand exactly what he's trying to say here. And so Romans 6, 15 through 16 says this, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And so here's the thing. We can either be a slave to sin or we can be a servant, a slave to, to God. But you cannot be neither and you cannot be both. Do you get that? So if you're not a believer in the room, you can't be either one. You can't be none of those things. You are either a slave to sin or you are a slave to, to God, to the righteousness of God. And if you're if you are a believer in the room, you can't be both of those things. You can't be a servant of God, a slave to righteousness, and also a slave to sin. It's impossible, but you will be one of them. That's what, what Paul is telling us here. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that we all have a bottom line, that all of us have a, a heart motivation, that we may not have taken the time to consider what that bottom line is, but if we were to do so, we might be surprised by what we find. It will either be something material, which is by nature sinful, or it will be the king of all creation, the person that we were actually created to serve, to be in service of. See, there, there's this gigantic myth that says that we are actually capable of, of freedom, of absolute independence, that that by whatever, whatever way you might think this is possible, we, we may actually think it's possible to release ourselves from all shackles. That, we're not, that we can get to a place, that we can arrive somewhere where we are not bound by anything. And Paul is telling us that in our nature, that is just absolutely not the truth. That we are wholly incapable of arriving at a place where we are free from any bondage, free from any shackle. And so the choice really becomes, what are we going to shackle ourselves to? And he gives us two options, two choices, right? We can be shackled to sin, which leads to death, or we can be shackled to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, there's, there's two things that we have to understand because it's going to continue, again, the train of thought. When, when, when Paul says this, that, that we have been essentially by nature sinful. When he says, do you know that if, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, sin is what we are by nature born into. That's what leads us to death. Obedience leads us to righteousness. So here's the thing. If you're not a believer in the room this morning, you may think that coming to Christ means losing your freedom, right? Like that's a pretty common objection of people who would say, I, I don't want to put really any stock into what you're saying if you're a follower of Jesus, because what that means for me is that I'm going to have to give up X, Y, and Z, right? But what Paul is telling you is that you're not free now. 
that you simply serve another master. And that master might be self, it might be money, it might be power, it might be sex, it might be control or approval. But in coming to Christ, here's what happens. In coming to Christ, it's not necessarily giving up your freedom. It's essentially exchanging your master. Right? You can either be ruled by those things or... You can be ruled by Christ. And here's the thing. In coming to Christ, you exchange a brutal master. You exchange a master that has, that has no value of you or your life for one that gives eternal life. That in coming to Christ, you serve a kind, generous, and merciful God, one who wishes you life and peace rather than self-destruction. And here's the thing, if you're, if you're a believer in the room, you may think that you can obey sin and God, but you can't. There's so many ways that we try to escape from the call to be righteous and to obey God, but brothers and sisters, we are slaves to righteousness in light of God's marvelous grace. And so here's the thing, here's where we can get confused really quick. Because Romans 1 through 5 told me that there is nothing that I can do. Romans 1 through 5 told me, in fact, that it, it is not my righteousness, but it's the alien righteousness of Christ working itself out in my heart, that that's what gives me right standing before God. So what is this talk? What is this talk of, of oh, now all of a sudden I have something to do? So is this, is, was that the bait and then this is the hook? Is that how this works? Well, here's the thing. Sin is not simply something that we can't help doing, but it's something that we choose to do in direct violation of the will of God. And it may be forgiven, but it is not something that is excusable due to any extenuating circumstance that you can try to come up with. He set us free from our sins so that we can truly obey and find life, grace, and peace in our obedience. To choose sin as a master leads us to death. To choose obedience to God as a master leads us to righteousness. It leads us into the wholeness, into the fullness of, of what life was meant to be. In following Christ as Lord and Savior. The second point we're going to talk about is being obedient to truth. Paul continues in his train of thought here by saying this thing, that we are obedient to a standard of truth and have been set free from sin. In verse 17, he says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now, there's a couple of things that, that we need to to draw from this, this portion of the text. Um, but what I want to focus in on is this idea of from the heart being, uh, being obedient to a certain standard of teaching, a teaching that we've been committed to. Other translations use words like wholeheartedly. Now, here's what Paul is saying, all right? If you are a believer in the room, if you claim to follow Christ, you have been converted to the truth, the truth has not been converted to you. Does that make sense? You've been converted to the truth. So the truth is what doesn't change. You're the one that changes. So here's what we have to understand by that, or here's what, what I mean by that. Our wholehearted obedience requires us to willingly abandon ourselves to this truth. 
This truth precedes our being. It precedes our logic. It precedes our ability to rationalize most, if not all, of our attempts to, to escape the call of holy living come from a functional belief that you and I define truth. You hear what I said? Because that's really important. Most, if not all, of our attempts to escape the call to holy living come from a functional belief that you and I define truth. Now, notice that I said functional. Most of us, if we're Christians in the room, would say that Scripture is the ultimate truth and the final judge of any moral uprightness, and it stands as the, sort of the, the correct, the true arbiter in any situation, right? That's what we mean when we say that the Word of God is inerrant and that it is authoritative, right? I think most of us would agree to that if we're Christians, right? Yes? No? Okay, cool. That's a good thing. You should believe that. <laughs> However... Many of us don't live that way. So functionally, what we're saying by our actions is that that is not true. Functionally, we're saying that we define truth and we define righteousness. But what Paul is telling us is that we are converted to the truth. That the truth stands upright, holy, just, complete, fully true, always applicable. And we're the ones that change. So here's the thing, if you're, if you're not a believer in the room, it is possible to have a merely intellectual or behavioral sort of Christianity in which the morality is followed superficially. That's probably one of the things that, that you've maybe been turned off by um, at a church in your past, if you've, if you've been around churches before. However, what, what Paul is telling us here, what Paul is telling you here, if you're not a believer, is that grasping the gospel changes everything, that it's not just what we do that changes, it's why we do it. See, I'm fully convinced that there are Christians, maybe even Christians that you've met, that you've encountered, that need to be saved from their, from their own morality. Like, they need to be given freedom. They need to be brought into the freedom of grace that is provided in the gospel. That they may do all the right things, but at the heart, at the core of who they are, they're trying to earn something they can't earn. But there are good Christian men and women who do follow what, what God has called them to do. Still struggle, admittedly so, but who move towards holiness, who move towards righteousness, not to earn credit, not to earn anything, but in order to show what has already taken place in their heart because of the gospel. See, we believe um, that in this truth, we find everything we need for life and holiness. The Bible tells us that that is true. So it's not about power. It's not about money, sex, influence, or productivity anymore. You can be freed from those things. If you're a believer in the room, here's, here's essentially what this means for us. We can't manipulate the truth in order to allow us to continue living unchanged, ritualistic, and dead lives. We must stop trying to shape the truth and instead let the truth shape us. The Bible is your authority. Righteousness is your call. And apart from it, we will never make Jesus known in this neighborhood. It won't happen. And here's the thing, <laughs> if you've been to the sort of to the covenant membership class, you've, you've heard this probably more than you've heard it from the pulpit recently, but we want people to come to know Jesus in Montrose. 
Like, we're not here just to kind of have a cool gathering in a nice space, which this is great. It's kind of hip. I like it, you know. But we're not here really just towards that end. We're not even here just to provide another community for a bunch of Christians to hang out in. Here's the thing. We are dead aim, dead set on mission. Because here's the thing. If we we aim at mission, we'll get community. But if we aim at community, we might get mission. Part of mission, part of being a missionary in your context, in your neighborhood, is living according to the way that God has called you to live. Hebrews 12 says this, strive for peace with everyone and for the righteousness or the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You get that? That that by our living, that by our righteousness, that by our living into the identity that Christ has called us to, that people will come to know the Lord. And so every instance, every moment that we ignore that, we try to cover up the gospel of truth. We may not mean to, but that's what we're doing. Every moment of sin, every moment that we, that we forsake really the truth that God has given us, we're saying it's not true. It's not good enough. It can't sustain. It can't help. It can't be graceful. Paul goes on to tell us that when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness, but that that doesn't lead us to true freedom, right? Romans 6.19 says this, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Essentially, he's just saying analogies aren't always perfect. But then he says this, For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So here's the thing, if, if you're not a believer in the room, if you are rejecting Christianity because you want to be free, you're only freeing yourself from a way of living in Christ that will most satisfy and fulfill you. In every other sense of the word, you are a slave, and this slave only increases, right? I mean, that's what he says that this lawlessness leads to more lawlessness, that the more you dig, that the more you try, it becomes easier and easier to compromise. That there's a a progressive darkening of your life. If you're a believer, in the same way that slavery to sin only deteriorates into cyclical and ever-increasing sin, our righteousness is also ever-increasing through the gift of sanctification. Here's what I'm not saying. It doesn't have to happen at a certain speed. It doesn't even have to be tomorrow. But there should be a gradual, a slow crawl, moving towards righteousness, moving towards the holiness that God has called you into. Otherwise, we probably have some questions to ask. Am I really saved? Has the gospel actually transformed my life? Like, is this something that I'm just mentally assenting to and saying, that sounds really good? Or am I living like that's really good? See, our 
our righteousness, this, this sanctification is, is part of God's promise to, to us. God hasn't just promised to forgive you. He's promised to make you new. And he will complete the good work that he's begun. That's, that's a promise from God. And if Romans is any indication of the faithfulness of God, that will happen. Romans 6, 20 through 22 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So what have we, what have we gained from our slavery to sin? Only death is what Paul is telling us. Now, ultimately, sin brings condemnation and separation from God for eternity. So death in that sense, like the, the, the literal sense, yes, absolutely. But I think that Paul is actually referring to even more than that. I think that Paul is talking of a death that these Christians used to experience, that you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, used to experience. He's referring to the brokenness of life. In essence, he's saying that by disobeying God, we become slaves to selfishness, to lust, bitterness, pride, worry, materialism, productivity. You may not experience all of these things, but whatever it is that drives you probably leads you to some combination of these things. For example, if, if you're like me, uh, I was enslaved to, to approval. Because of that, I constantly and sometimes still do um, experience self-pity, feelings of inadequacy, and, and even more. And that would lead me to do all kinds of things that were shameful just so that I could have that approval that I yearned for. Right? Maybe, maybe you struggle for control. Maybe control is something that you hold on to. You need to have that. You need to be in control. Because if you're not in control, then something else is ruling you. And yet your pursuit of control is what's, what's ruling you. It's going to drive you to do all kinds of things, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's over your, your, your life, your schedule. As soon as something throws that off, you're going you're gonna to react. You're going to react in anger. You're going you're gonna to get angsty. You're going to react in anxiety. You're going to want to write to rectify what has been, what has been made askew. Here's the thing, you may, you may think that you just value being in control, that you value ordering your own life, but you're still a slave. You're a slave to needing to have control. Maybe it's power, right? You, you desperately want to have power over, man, if you've ever watched House of Cards, right? I shouldn't have admitted to that. Anyway, but if you've ever watched that, you, power drives this man to all kinds of horrendous things, awful things. And as much as he likes to think that he's in control, as much as he likes to think that he is, is, is above the fray, no, he's ruled. He's ruled by that master. He's owned by it to the degree that he, he loses his entire identity. But here's the thing, the gospel of Jesus has freed me from that with the truth that I've been finally and fully approved of in Jesus. Anything that we worship besides God promises much and delivers not only nothing, but worse than nothing. 
It delivers us something that's terrible, something that's broken, something that can only cause us to long for, for something more. It leads us on, on, a, on a spiral of decline. Paul's going to conclude here with a famous verse that takes us back ultimately to the heart of the gospel, right? Verse 23, we've all heard this verse at some point. If you've been around a church uh, at any point in your life, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So yes, it is about works. It is about striving for righteousness, not because it will save us, but because we've been given it in our salvation. That in our works, we are simply asked to be what we are, a redeemed people. However, it's even more about what God has done. Verse 23 here tells us that sin is a master who always pays its wages always pays its, its wages, both on time and in full. The wages are death, both in life, as we experience a pattern of brokenness that we will never escape apart from Jesus, and in death, finally and fully. But God is a master who gives gifts that are unearned, that are undeserved, and serving God won't win us salvation, but if we've received this gift, we do have a new master, one whom we work for and find fulfillment in, brothers and sisters, we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You ever heard that before? That's, that's Jesus. <laughs> seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These are the words of Jesus. Just because we can't be saved by our righteousness doesn't mean that righteousness has no part in our sanctification. Here's the thing, if you're, if you're not a believer in the room, this is why we may act a little bit differently at times. And here's what I need for you to understand if you're not a believer in the room. We don't act differently simply to hold a moral high ground. We act differently because our master bids it. Because by it, we bring glory to him. And so here's the thing, it's not to elevate ourselves above you, but it is to elevate him above us. Please understand that, because I think so much of, of Christianity, Christendom, whatever word you want to use, has been misconstrued or misunderstood, again, because we are known for our morality and not for our message. It's because we believe that the ways that God has called us to live lead us to righteousness, lead us to life abundant, right? Like that that's what Jesus promised I am the way and the truth and the life. I have come to give life, life abundant. This is why we follow Jesus. Not because we can earn anything, but because he earned something for us and we want to say thank you. And we believe that if he created all things, he gets to tell us how those things work. It's like using an iPad for a plate. It'd probably make a great plate, but you're not getting everything that you could out of it. That's why we follow Jesus. That's why we do the things that we do. That's why we may say no to some things and yes to other things. Not because we're judging you, 
not because we're trying to cast you aside or make you feel guilty, but simply because our master, our loving, kind, gracious, perfect, merciful master has bid us live this way.